Well, good evening, church. I'm so glad that you're able to join with us tonight. I'm grateful for the opportunity to come to you again and share the Word of God. Thank you for taking time to join in on our Sunday evening online. Uh, I hope that where you are with at, with family or friends, if you've gathered together, as some do with other people from your adult Bible fellowships or from your uh, group at church, I'm so thankful that you can gather together and take just a moment to gather everyone, get your Bibles out, and let's go through what God's Word says. We're going to be looking tonight at pictures of courage, and we have an interesting character. Many of us think we know him We've heard many stories about him, but we're going to see some things, I think, tonight, hopefully, that are fresh. They're not new, but I want them to be fresh on our hearts for the day in which we live, that we would be courageous Christians. And so tonight, we're going to see pictures and courage. Uh, as people are joining, make sure that you uh, you share and make sure you um, check in and let others know that you're here tonight. Maybe, maybe put something about what God has done in your heart today. We had a wonderful morning service. It was a joy to see Ben get baptized, and I'm thankful for what God is doing in his life. And uh, just a joy to talk to uh, several today who trusted Christ and um, will, Lord willing, follow the Lord in believers' baptism next week, those who are joining the church next week. And just a, a joy today to have Wilton and Luann Lyles joined this morning, and, and just a, a blessing to see how God is working in the life of Front Range. So take just a minute, log in, uh, get everybody that you have with you together, get your Bibles out. And uh, while they're doing that, I want to remind you that next week is Baptism Sunday. We're going to be, today we had baptism, um, but we also observe the Lord's Supper today, and that's always a very precious time for the church um, and so next Sunday will be Baptism Sunday. If you would like to put your name on the list of those being baptized, please contact the church office this week and we'll get you on the list. Uh, also, we want you to be in prayer for our El Shaddai Widows Ministry. We have a luncheon, uh, Valentine's luncheon next Tuesday, I'm sorry, next Sunday, uh, February the 12th. I was thinking about Valentine's Day on Tuesday. Uh, I'm not forgetting, men don't forget, okay? But uh, we'll have that luncheon here at our home, and we're thankful about that. And uh, then don't forget about our wild game dinner. Tickets go on sale, and so you can go right through uh, the church app to uh, make sure that you get your tickets for that. Buy a table, invite friends. Let's make this a wonderful outreach event. Bring as much wild game as you have, and we're going to have a wonderful time together. And then our marriage retreat, April the 20th through the 22nd, and... Uh, I would really encourage our uh, married couples to get to that event, and let's let's get uh, let's get registered, sign up, invest in your marriage. I know that uh, it will be a great blessing, and you would not regret going. We've got a wonderful, wonderful guest speaker going to be with us. He and his wife. It's going to be a precious time of fellowship, renewing our our marriages and strengthening. Uh, those relationships. And so you come April the 20th through the 22nd. Find in your Bible uh, Genesis chapter 6. Find there Genesis chapter 6. It's a joy to see all that is going on. I trust that you're a part. Uh, if you are not yet involved and enrolled in one of our adult Bible fellowships and have your children in our children's Sunday school or in our teen Sunday schools, Let's get involved. Get here. Be there on Sunday, 945. Get everybody in the family there. 
We're going to study the Word of God together and grow together in our relationships and ministry. And so just so thankful that we have the opportunity to serve in these days. Let's all be in all with all of our heart. While you're turning to Genesis 6, I'm going to read a familiar verse from Hebrews chapter 11, the great hall of faith. Listen to this verse. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. What a key phrase, righteousness. He's an heir of the righteousness which is by faith. This is, of course, tonight our picture of courage is Noah. And many people think, well, I've heard a lot about Noah. Well, he was not just a minor Bible character. He's mentioned some 50 times in the Bible in nine different books of the Bible. Many people think, well, I don't know that the flood of Noah was a literal event. Well, friend, let me tell you, Jesus believed in it. And Jesus said that as it was in those days of Noah, so will it be when the Son of Man comes. So Jesus was very in tune to who Noah was and what his days were like and what it would be like when Jesus would come again. And so I think it would do us very well to just take a moment, go back and revisit some familiar territory and ask the Holy Spirit to lay on our hearts these truths once again afresh. And let's live these out in these days. Our Heavenly Father, I pray these next few moments as we open your word that you would open our ears and our hearts to hear the Holy Spirit. I pray that right now as families, we would gather together as friends, we would open the word of God and we would see what you have for us in these days, that we would be determined to be courageous Christians in this age in which you've called us. What a ripe time to be living out loud for Jesus. So help us tonight to find the courage through these examples you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Many years ago, there was a show on television that was pretty popular. I never saw it, but I just wasn't really into it. But it was called Preppers. And it was about people who were preparing for end times. And they were storing food and they had elaborate bug out bags and they were uh, putting all kinds of things together for whatever their end of the world scenario was, zombie apocalypse or government, you know, red dawn type stuff. And um, there were people who have probably today are, are even into this idea of prepping. And I don't think that that's all a bad idea, but Noah was a prepper. The Bible says here that Noah was warned of God, of things not seen as yet was moved with fear, and then notice what it said, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world, became an heir of righteousness, which is by faith. Noah was a remarkable man who lived in a remarkable time, who did remarkable things. And we can learn so much from Noah. God has mentioned him, like I said a moment ago, 50 sometimes in nine books of the Bible because what Noah did was so significant in the world events. And Noah lived at a very, very wicked time. We'll talk about that in just a moment, but hear me out. Noah prepared an ark. You know, many people want to know what the end is going to be. Noah was warned of God that the end was coming. It were things not seen as yet. He didn't understand worldwide cataclysmic flood. He didn't know what that meant. Noah could have spent his time parsing 
all the words that God said and tried to figure out all the signs and put the pieces of the puzzle together. And he could have figured out about the time he would have put together his whole prophetic map and all of the ways the signs were lining up with one another and the events in the news and the toes of the beast and all the things in prophecy. By the time he got it all laid out, he would have been up to his neck in water. So Noah was moved with fear of things not seen as yet. God warned him and he moved him with fear. So he began to prepare an ark to the saving of his house. Let me tell you, I know that we ought to study what's coming and we ought to know and be prepared, but God's warned us. Just like he warned them, he's warned us that he's coming again. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the Son of Man cometh. We've been warned that Jesus is coming. What we need to be working on is not dissecting all the signs, but making sure our family is on the ark. We need to be making sure that our children are saved. Making sure that our hearts are right. Making sure that we are busy doing what God has called us to do, to prepare the ark. Uh, listen, the ark was a, a vessel of salvation. And Noah preached it to others to come aboard the ark. And I believe with all my heart that he was a man who stood courageously in his day, alone in his day, but he stood for God. We're gonna see some things about Noah in his courage. Listen, he lived in a day of absolute uh, wickedness. It was a day of population explosion. It was in a day of advancement. Uh, they were growing in their sciences. They were growing, uh, it, tubal cane, uh, and, and all of these different ones in Genesis chapter four that were beginning, the, these great explosions and developments of the, uh, of the arts, of music and science and metalworking and all of these things of mechanics and tools. And don't ever think that they were primitive ignoramuses. These were brilliant people. I mean, the ark was 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet tall, three stories uh, it had 1.5 million cubic feet. That's, that's to put it in terms, it had the same capacity for cargo as 500 boxcars. This was not a little floating boat. This was a massive, massive uh, vessel that was able to house men and animals and all of their provisions. It was an amazing feat of engineering. These were not foolish men. It was a day of advancement. It was a day of population explosion. Somebody asked me, Pastor, how many people do you think were on the world, on the population of the world, the days of Noah? And if you just do it, we don't know because the Bible doesn't say, so we have to use some figures and we can't ever be sure and we don't say definitively. But I will tell you this, on the very low end of that, somewhere in the neighborhood of 750 million. But if you look at the terms of the rate of population growth uh, since the 2000s and, and you took the rate of population growth in Noah's day, what we would think it would be, and just added 0.01%, it could be as high as 4 billion. They're saying now that we're going to be adding a billion people every five years. Populations grow exponentially. And so that's what happened in Noah's day. The population was exploding. Exploding. But it was a day, not only of advancement, but it was a day of anarchy. It was a day when there was violence in the land. If you have your Bible there and you see Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 9, look down with me please. In Genesis 6 and verse number 9, the Bible says, 
These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his, or complete in his generations. And Noah walked with God. Now he was unusual. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He was one that was, he was the only one perfect in his generations in those days. And why was that? Look back with me in verse number seven. The Bible says, I'm sorry, down in, uh, in verse number five, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. If you look down in verse number 11, the earth was also corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. It was a violent world. And I'm sure death and war and disease and crime and those kind of things kept the population in check. But I wanna tell you, it wasn't just a few who were outside the ark. It was a massive catastrophe of worldwide cataclysmic events and death. It was a wicked world full of violence. It's a day of anarchy. People were killing one another. Tribes going to wars against other tribes. It was a day of violence. It was a day of perversion. The Bible says here that they were giving in marriage, marrying and giving in marriage. God had ordained marriage to be between a man and a woman. It wasn't until Genesis chapter five, I believe, when Tubal came, or when, uh, uh, when uh, uh, good grief, I, I, I slipped his name. Let me go back and find it. But he took two wives. Uh, Lamech took two wives. And uh, that was the first time it was mentioned in the Bible record. And that was against God's plan. God had ordained marriage for specific purposes, and then we see them perverting this. Uh, excuse me, perverting this uh, uh, this union of marriage. What a vile and wicked day it was, and they were consumed with perversion. And can I tell you, we're living in that day today, are we not? We're living in a day consumed with violence and perversion. This was a day of not only perversion, but it was a day of spiritual decadence. I'm not gonna go into detail on this, but the Bible tells us clearly here that the sons of God saw the daughters of men and came in unto them and there were born unto them these giants or Nephilims, men of old, of renown. And there are many who believe that that was the godly line of Seth marrying into the ungodly line of Cain and creating men who knew not God and became perverse and wicked. There are many who believe that there were fallen angels who were able to cross the threshold of genetics and in ways that we don't even understand and were able to uh, cohabitate with, the, with human women and create hybrids. And I, I'm not gonna get into all of that tonight. Just suffice it to say that the book of Jude tells us that there were some things going on in those days that were of spiritual wickedness. Um, and also after that, in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, when the Bible says that the men of Sodom saw the angels that came and they desired them and sought after strange flesh and just a day of spiritual decadence, demonic and vile and vicious and wicked and perverse. It brought about God's full judgment, absolute judgment on the earth. But there was one man in his family who remained faithful through the whole thing and were delivered. And I want you to see his courage and where it came from. I want you to notice a couple things about 
the, about Noah. Uh, Noah is a wonderful character in the Bible. And let me tell you the first thing. Number one, he was a saved man who walked with God. It tells us here in verse number eight that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The Bible says that he was a just man, which means righteous man. It tells us in verse number 12 that God looked upon the earth and behold, it was corrupt and all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said to Noah, the days of all flesh has come before me. The earth is filled with violence through them and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Noah was a man who was saved and the Bible says plainly that Noah walked with God. Noah had a walk with God. He had found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You know, grace is unmerited favor. He found something that he didn't deserve. He, he did not get grace because he was good enough. God gave him grace because God is good. He wasn't saved because he came from a godly lineage. Um, he didn't, wasn't saved because he was a godly man or come from a godly line. He had access to the truth. It's amazing that Enos was Adam's grandson. And Enos, the grandson of Adam, was still alive until Noah was 80 years old. It's very possible that Noah would have known Enos, the grandson of Adam, and from him he would have heard all the grand stories of how God walked with Adam in the garden and who God was. And he would have heard those passed down things of what God and Adam discussed in the Garden of Eden. And perhaps he would have heard about the tragic fall of man. Now, all of these things Noah would have known. He, he, Noah would have heard. He knew the truth. And Noah had heard about sin. He'd heard about death. He heard about eternal life and how it's gained through forgiveness and grace by faith. And Noah believed God and he was made righteous. You say, how do you know that? He was a saved man who walked with God. And the Bible tells us that he was saved. And as a saved man, he was a righteous man. The grace of God had made him a righteous man. Write down these references, Ezekiel chapter 14, verses 14 and verse 20. The Bible says of Noah uh, that even if Noah and Daniel and uh, uh, Moses had been in that day, that their righteousness could not have delivered them. He talked about their righteousness, that their righteousness, as righteous as these men were, their righteousness would not would have only delivered themselves and not anyone else. And, and Ezekiel's making the point that these were righteous men. Uh, the Bible says in Hebrews 11 that he, would, in verse 7, he was an heir of righteousness, which is by faith. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, the Bible says that Noah, who was a preacher of righteousness... So we know that Noah was a righteous man and his righteousness did not come from his good works. His good works came from his righteousness. Noah believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. He was a just man or justified man. He was a man who was justified by grace through faith. His righteousness was a gift of God in response to Noah's faith in God's word. The Bible tells us about that in Romans chapter 3. Verse 21 and 22, listen to this. This is the great chapter of 
God has declared us all guilty, that every mouth may be stopped. And then he says that uh, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But in verse number 21, he says, but now the righteousness of God is without the law is manifest or made known, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. Friend, listen, there's only one way to the righteousness of God, and that is through faith in the word of God. So he was a righteous man. He's a saved man who walked with God, and that that salvation made him righteous. Number two, he was blameless. The Bible says in verse number nine that he was perfect in all of his generations. It meant that he was righteous before God, but he was blameless before men. Now, blameless doesn't mean sinless. One of the the prerequisites for a pastor is to be blameless. It doesn't mean that he's sinless. It just means having integrity, being whole, and being unblemished. A saved person ought to be right before God, but he ought to be right before man. That's what James had in his mind when he said, James 2.14, that faith without works is dead. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And James concluded that a man is justified by works. You say, well, that contradicts Paul's teaching, that a man is justified only by faith without works. No, Paul said a man is justified before God. James is saying a man is justified before men. My faith makes me righteous before God, but that faith working in me makes me righteous before men. You see, there is, there is a significance to how you and I live before others. A saved person ought to be right before people. Titus chapter two, or, or sorry, Titus chapter one, verse 10 and verse 16 Paul said, for there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers. He was talking about in the church. Unruly, will not be governed. They're vain talkers. They spend their time talking about empty things. And they're deceivers. They gossip, they murmur, they backbite, they talk about things that don't matter. They spend all their time with foolish questions and things that gender strifes. I mean, Paul said that. Then he said, they profess that they know God, but in works, they deny him. Jesus said in Matthew chapter five that men would see our good works and glorify God. Let your light shine before men. Well, what's the light? The righteousness of God in you that came by faith, shining through you, through your works. A faith that works. That's what we're talking about. Noah lived it out before men. He had a right standing before God, but he had a right standing before man. He walked with God and then could walk before men blameless. He didn't follow the course of the world. His faith was compared to a walk. That's faith is always compared to a walk. We walk by faith. The Bible tells us that our Christian life is a walk. It begins with one step of faith in Jesus Christ That step leads to another step. That leads to a daily walk, one step at a time. The Bible tells us to walk in love. The Bible tells us to walk in the spirit. The Bible tells us to walk circumspectly. It's one step at a time, one day at a time, one moment at a time as we walk with God and we walk in love, we walk in purity, all these things that a believer walks in because we're saved. That's what Noah had. Noah had the courage to walk with God and then walk uprightly before men in an ungodly age. Not only that, he was an obedient man. 
Saved men who walk with God are righteous men. Saved men who walk with God are are uh, um, uh, blameless men. Saved men who walk with God are obedient men. Uh, obedience comes from hearing the word and then doing it. Many people don't obey God because they're not listening to God. Uh, there were many times that my children disobeyed me and their disobedience was not a, a intentional disobedience. It was, a, it was a disobedience of ignorance. You say, how do you know that? Because I told them to do something that they didn't listen. They didn't pay attention. They didn't hear me. It didn't register. They weren't focused on my voice. So they didn't hear my word and they didn't do what I told them to do. Therefore, they were disobedient. Now, there were other times they were rebellious. Other times they were just ignorant. Now, James tells us that those that hear the word but don't do the word deceive themselves. He said we ought to be hearers of the word and doers of the word, receiving it and implementing it. Jesus gave the parable in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27 of the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when the winds came and crashed, and the wise man built his house on the rock, and it withstood the winds and the tests and the waves. Why? This is the man who heareth my words and doeth them. Noah heard and obeyed. Noah was moved with fear and built an ark to the saving of his house. And his house wasn't destroyed because of his obedience. Noah didn't just build an ark. He built a godly character. He built a godly family. He built a family that built an ark that condemned the world. And I want to say to us that that's what, it takes courage in an ungodly age to do that. So Noah was a saved man who walked with God, but number two, he was a steadfast man who worked with God, uh, worked for God. I'll, I'll explain this very quickly, but God said in verse number 14 of Genesis chapter six, uh, the Lord said, make thee an ark of gopher wood. And then he tells him how to do it all the way through to verse number 22. He tells him how to build it and then how to fill it. God tells him what to do. And listen, he had to work for God. When you walk with God, He'll speak to you through his word and then tell you what you need to do so that you can know it and do it. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly or standeth in the way of sinners or sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Why? Because what he's doing is what he got in the word that he was meditating in. Uh, in Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. You see, when a man walks with God, he hears from God, he's instructed from God, and then he goes to work for God. We are more than just God's servants. God doesn't want us just servants who do his will. We are his friends who know his plans. Many of us, we're just waiting for God to give us instructions so we can decide if we want to do them or not. But God wants us to walk with him as friends walk with friends so that we can know his plans and purposes and then set our heart to doing them. That's what Noah did. He was a steadfast man who worked for God. Psalm 25, verse 14, the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him and he will show them his covenant. Those that fear the Lord, that walk with the Lord, that do his will, he shows them his covenant. So how did Noah work for God? Well, he built an ark. 
450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet tall, three decks, one door, one window on the top. It was not designed to sail. It was designed to float. It had space for 125,000 animals and their food, their provisions. It was an amazing feat of engineering. He, it took him some work. 120 years he worked on that thing. Not only that, but he was not only building an ark, but his work was trusting God's covenant. Verse 18 is the first time the word covenant is used in the Bible. But with thee will I establish my covenant. And thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. This was a covenant that God gave to him. I'm going to establish my covenant with you that I'm going to bring you into the ark and I'm going to take you over the ark, you and your sons and their wives. Now, it's interesting that the covenants in the Bible were agreements. They were obligations that God made with man that had benefits for the parties involved in that covenant. Some covenants in the Bible was God was the only covenant party. There were many times God made a covenant like he did with Abraham, but he made the covenant with himself. Abraham went to sleep and God walked between the two parts of the animal. God made that covenant with himself. That's why he told Abraham, God will provide himself a lamb. He'll provide it for himself and he will provide it with himself. It was a covenant with himself. It was unconditional. God made a covenant with himself. There are other covenants that required obedience to receive the blessing. That was the covenant at Mount Sinai. God made a covenant with the law. Moses said to the people, this is God's covenant. If you do this, you will live. If you don't, you will die. If you do, you are blessed. If you don't, you are cursed. And they said, we will do it. <laughs> what a foolish covenant. They should have begged for grace. They should have gotten on their knees and said, we cannot do it. But we believe that God can. But they didn't. They said, we can do it. And it required obedience. And man, we saw it. We saw them break that covenant many times. But Noah's covenant was addressed to Noah, and it included his family. Noah became a father at 500 years of age. He entered the ark at 600 years of age. His boys at 100 or so were still young in pre-flood days. They were all married without kids. So Noah had to trust the promise of God, this covenant that God made. He had to trust that covenant that the ark would sustain them beyond the flood so that the generations of Noah and his family would perpetuate. This is Noah steadfastly working for God, trusting in God's covenant. But I want to say not only that he, he gathered the animals in verse number 19 through 22, he had to go get two of every living thing, seven of the clean animals, two of every kind, male and female. And so Noah gathered them all. All of this, was Noah serving God. All of this bears witness to the world that I believe God and I'm working for God. And for 120 years, he and his family faithfully worked for God. He was steadfast in working. Now he was a saved man. He was a saved man who walked with God. He was a steadfast man who worked for God. And lastly, he was a secure man who waited on God. The hardest part of the Christian life is waiting on God. Wait on the Lord. God is never early, but he's never late. 
He's always on time. We have to wait. The Bible tells us in Psalm 32 and verse number nine, be not as the horse or as the mule. The horse wants to run ahead of God. There was a man one time, he was a preacher. He was always so busy and in such a hurry and always rushing and always working and always going. It seemed like he never slowed down. Somebody said to another man, do you believe brother so-and-so is gonna go to heaven? And the man said, if he doesn't run right past it. Uh, We can get in a hurry. We can get out ahead of God sometimes. We can also be a little stubborn and lag behind like a mule, but we don't want to rush ahead or stubbornly hold back. We want to wait on God. And let me show you some of the waitings that Noah did. Look over at chapter seven very quickly. You're in Genesis six. Look at chapter seven. Look at verse 11. The Bible says, in the 600 year of Noah's life and in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. Now you say, what do you mean by that? Now Noah went into the ark on the 10th day of the month. The flood came on the 17th day of the month. So the first time you see Noah waiting, he had that week of waiting. He went into the ark and God shut him in. God shut the door. He went in by faith and God shut him. He was secure. He was secure, but he waited on God. Now you can you imagine that first week? You're in the ark. You're waiting for the flood. It's supposed to come. God has shut the door. You're in there with all the animals. You have your family gathered together and you're waiting for this flood. You know how long a day is when you're waiting? How long a night is when you're waiting? How long the next day is and the next night is? And by the middle of the week, perhaps you're tempted to open up the door and to see what's going on. And can you imagine hearing the mocking outside? Do you imagine what was going on with the mobs that came around the ark? Noah's in there, all the animals are in there and nothing's happening. The sun comes up, the sun goes down, the days move on. People are going shopping, they're buying, they're selling, they're marrying, they're giving in marriage. They're laughing and partying and they're mocking. What it was for Noah to wait had to be turmoil, but Noah waited on God for that week. It was a week of testing. It was a time of testing. And can I tell you, God's gonna put you in places to test you. A faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Hey, listen, if Noah couldn't endure this week, he wasn't gonna endure what was coming next. Because then he had not only a week of waiting, but the second thing, he had a year of waiting. Many of us think that Noah went in that ark and it was 40 days and 40 nights. Listen, he was in there for a week before the flood came. And then the flood came. And Noah had no idea how long he'd be in that ark. But he had prepared all that he could. And then he left the rest to God. He said, God, I'm gonna prepare like you've told me to prepare and then I'm gonna wait on you. Psalm 31 verse 15 says, my times are in thy hand. I, I don't know what season of life I'm in. I don't know if I have a day left or a week left or a year left or 20 years left or 30 years left. I don't know. I don't know. But I know this, I wanna be waiting on God and preparing and and letting God use my times. Noah was in that ark. Over a year and 10 days, God, who shut them in, let them out. And they came out to a freshly cleansed earth. Things were beginning to grow. The earth was ready for their arrival. And they came out of that ark ready. By the way, that ark landed on the mountain of Ararat on the same day that Jesus came out of the tomb. It was resurrection 
Noah waited on God a year and 10 days. And then the Bible says it was a life of waiting. He had that week of waiting in the ark before the flood. He was in there a year through the flood and beyond. And then when they came out, he had to wait a lifetime of waiting. You say, what do you mean? Noah had to wait a lifetime to see the covenant of God fulfilled. God had made a covenant with him and his children and their families. But he had to wait for his children's children. He had to wait to see the blessings of God on his children. He had to wait to see Shem and Japheth and Ham bring children into the world. And when he saw that in his old age, he rejoiced in the promises and goodness of God. You know, we have to learn to wait on God. We have to take God at his word and believe God. It takes courage to walk with God. It takes courage in our days to wait on God. We're in a world that's a microwave world, a fast food world, and high-speed internet world, a 5G world, an ultra-wideband world. I mean, we're in a world that wants it now, 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 now. That's not how God works. That's maybe how the world works, but God doesn't do it on our timetable and at our speed. We gotta learn to wait on God. It takes courage. It takes courage to work for God today. Noah was working alone. We're gonna have to sometimes work alone. Maybe you're the only Christian in your home. Maybe you're the only Christian in your job. Well, guess what? You don't have to hide, you go to work. (laughs) You look around at all the opportunities that God gives you to declare him. Noah was a saved man, he was a secure man. Noah was a steadfast man because Noah had courage in the face of opposition. And so must we. Let's pray that God will give us courage in these last days, that we will be faithfully preparing when Jesus comes. He's coming. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the Son of Man cometh. And friend, I believe that we're so near. Let's take courage and keep building and working for God. Lord, I pray tonight that you would speak to every heart. I pray that you would encourage your people and strengthen us God, give grace. I pray that in these days we would be faithful and courageous. I pray that we would do a work for God, that we would spend our energies working for the Lord. Wherever we go to work in the morning, may it be for you. We may have an ungodly boss, but we're gonna go to work as though we're working for you because we are. And the world needs to see our good works. Lord, I pray that we would show them that we would be people who would work patiently, fervently, purely, and that, Lord, we would see fruit. Bless our people tonight. Lord, if there's anyone that is listening to this that doesn't know Jesus Christ as Savior, may they right now, under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, come to Christ, receiving you as Lord and Savior, calling on your holy name, Lord, that they would see salvation by faith, and the same righteousness that Noah got by faith, may they have by faith. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Church, thank you for being a part tonight. Let's live courageously, and let's live joyfully, and let's be working for